You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. All right. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Yes. Woo! Happy New Year, right? I'm glad you're here. I, I tell you what, we... When you spread out the rows, you know, for social distancing, it, it, we got a packed house. We've got a packed house this morning. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. It's, it, you know, December was kind of a, a lower month attendance-wise. Um, thank you guys for still giving because we, you know, giving-wise, it, it was still good. But um, attendance-wise, it was, it was pretty low because of COVID and, and, and I'm sure people, you know, staying away because of COVID as well. And we've still got a few that are doing that, and, and we encourage that if you, if you need to do that. But, um, you know, we were pretty low on numbers. It's good to have everybody kind of back and um, at least most of our people back, and it's good to see your faces this morning. Um, and, and Happy New Year to you. It's always exciting. Um, it's always exciting as we come into a new year with new opportunities, new possibilities. I know everyone thinks... You know, 2020 was the worst year that's ever existed, and 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 unfortunately for a lot of families, um, that that's the reality, right? 2020 was a, an awful, awful year for for a, many families across the world because of this pandemic. Uh, but you know, I'll echo what Stephen said last week um, at the end there that you know, as bad as it has been for many families, um, for for our church, it's been a wonderful year, a great year. For our church, um, I hope that you you feel the same way. But you know, from our small congregation, we we've seen several come to Christ this year, uh, several new faces added to our body. Um, as Stephen mentioned last week we were able to finally launch our children's ministry this year, and it was it's Paul has done a wonderful job leading that, and um, it's just been so great to look in there at nine o'clock on Sundays and see our kids. Uh, opening the Word of God together, you know, learning the Word of God together. Um, we've seen a few engagements take place this year, right? We've got a, a few engaged couples, and we, we look forward to, uh, to what those marriages will do um, for the kingdom, really. And, um, and on top of that, you know, we've seen continued financial growth from our church and... Um, in such a way that, that we finally have been able to start really searching for a building for us, a, a new building. And you guys kind of, we've kept you updated on the process there. That's still in process. And, but we've seen, we've seen God move in amazing ways financially as well. You know, over the past few months especially, we've raised $40,000, you know, over the, just the past couple of months. So um, we're there, you know, to be able to finally search for a new building and, and hopefully have a new building soon. Uh, we've developed ministry partners across the world and in India, um, and we've we've been able to watch their building uh, building project take off there and be be a part of helping with that. And you know, on top of all that, I think that we can also say, and as as Stephen and I talk, we we can we can say that we have seen just tremendous spiritual growth out of our people. You know, our our membership and and those that are that are with us every week, and uh, that's been, been such a blessing. To see, it's been such a blessing to see um, you guys take even more seriously God's call to go and make disciples, right? Whether it be across the world or um, right here where we are every single day. And, and to see, really, you know, I can't think of a, a member in this church who that's not your mission right now. That um, it's, it's about making disciples for you. And so uh, what a wonderful year um, for our, our church family. And we can't wait to see how God uses our church family in, in 2021. Um, with that all being said, we're going to open the new year by, by um, continuing our study through the book of John. Uh, so if you'll want to be turning there, um, John chapter 6 is where we'll be. And if you, you'll remember from John chapter 6, Jesus opens the chapter with, one of the most well-known miracles of his ministry. It's a miracle that's in all four Gospels. Um, it's the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And we, we talked about that several weeks ago now. 
Um, and it was probably more like 20,000, right, when you count the women and the children, which aren't, um, aren't added to that number of 5,000. Um, so Jesus has just miraculously provided food for this crowd with leftovers, right, 12 baskets left over from just a few crackers and a couple of fish. And uh, the crowd is, of course, uh, amazed by Jesus, amazed by what Jesus has done. And, and, and they try to make Jesus their king, their, their leader. This is the guy. He's going to bring Israel back, right? He's going to give us all we ever dreamed of. We're going to finally have that earthly kingdom we've longed for. Um, and, and so they take him and they try to make him their king. And uh, Jesus ends up withdrawing from the crowd, remember. And then to make a long story short, including another miracle by Jesus walking on the water across the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus and His disciples end up crossing the Sea of Galilee. And so they're on one side of the sea. The crowd is on the other side. And um, at the point that we'll pick up in verse 32, the crowd, this is the next day, and they've come looking for Jesus again. So they've now crossed the sea. They found Jesus. And this is where this all kind of takes off. And... Last time, um, in the message that I posted on Facebook, that we weren't physically able to meet together, so hopefully you got to check that out. Um, we, we talked about the crowd's evil motives in, in following Jesus. The characteristics of false disciples is what we looked at. Uh, they weren't interested in, in Jesus being their spiritual Savior. That's not why they, why they were chasing Him. They weren't interested in Jesus' words that bring life. They weren't interested in those. They were simply hungry. Not for spiritual food, but just food. They just give us something to eat, Jesus, and they wanted to see another miracle. They needed to have their bellies filled again, and that was their motive for following Jesus across the sea. And, and Jesus rebukes their poor motives, uh, several of which we, we listed last time as we, as we looked at those false disciples, characteristics of false disciples. Um, because many of the people in this group uh, that Jesus is talking to here, they are false followers of Jesus, as we're going to see revealed at the end of this chapter. And then, um, after his rebuke, he begins this discourse, this, this sermon, if you will, um, which, which we'll begin to look at today. We're not going to get through all of it. Um, in fact, we won't get through a lot of it. You guys know me. I, you know, I started yesterday morning, and I was like, okay, I think... We're going to get through the rest of this chapter today, and you know, you know me. By the time it's over, it's three sermons, so uh, maybe just two. So we'll, we'll see. But we're going to we're going to start it today, um, and 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 we'll see see where the Lord leads us here. But um, Jesus, in this discourse, introduces himself with the first of seven "I am" statements that we find in the Book of John. He says, "I am." the bread of life, and we're going to read that in a moment. I am the bread of life, and that's going to be our focus for today and next week and possibly the following week, um, but I am the bread of life. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Um, and so, like I said, we'll just, we'll just get started with it today, hopefully finish it up next week, but I'm going to ask you to stand up, and we're going to read just verses 32 through 51 this morning. And I don't even think we'll get that far, to be honest. Uh, this, this section really goes all the way through the end of the chapter, through 71. But we'll, we'll read 32 through 51 this morning. And we're jumping right in the middle of this conversation here. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all, that of all He has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
The Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, uh, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. And I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, I, I just ask you to have your way with the service, Lord. Please remove all distractions that we have this morning. Um, and God, just speak through me, Lord. I just want to be your vessel this morning. Move me out of the way. And, and you just speak your words to your people. Uh, speak through your word this morning. Not through my words, Lord, but through your word, Lord. And, um, we just pray that you would convict where conviction is needed. That you would save, Lord, if salvation is needed this morning. Uh, Father, that you would just have your way in whatever way you see fit today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So we only read about really about half of the sermon here from, from Jesus, and we'll, we'll finish it up next week. But as you can see from the background that's usually behind me and is behind me uh, this morning, um, the title we've given our study through the book of John is I Am. And that is because that is the name that God calls Himself in Exodus when He is calling Moses to lead His people out of Egypt. God says to tell them, I am has sent you. Right? He says, you tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. It's the name that God gives Himself. And a name that accurately describes God because He is whatever it is that is needed this morning. God is that. He is everything that you could possibly need. I am is left open because it's like a fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you need, God is that. I am. He is the self-sustaining creator of the universe and the whole purpose of the universe. Nothing or no one gives Him orders or instructs Him. Nothing or no one comes close to His power. No one has the right to question His ways. He is God, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly loving, yet perfectly, perfect in judgment, perfectly holy, awesome God. This is the God who has angels circling His throne right now. Angels that if we were to see, we'd be scared to death. Angels circling His throne, just screaming back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is this God. Amen? This is God. Well, throughout the book of John, what we see is that Jesus uses this same name that God the Father calls Himself. He uses it as, as His own name. There are uh, seven very commonly quoted I Am statements of Jesus in John's Gospel, although Jesus actually claims to be God in, in several other places in this book um, as well. And we've already seen uh, some of those, but this morning we will, we will look at the first official I Am statement of Jesus in the Gospel. And, and again, we'll continue this next week. But He says, I am the bread of life. And I want to look at, uh, between this week and next week, I want to look at five characteristics, five descriptors of this bread of life in John 6. Um, and we'll probably only get through a couple today. And the first characteristic is that uh, this bread of life is superior. That's the first word to describe this bread. It's superior. Now, before we jump headfirst into this, I want to make sure that we set the context very clearly of the people whom Jesus is talking to here in John 6. Again, this is the crowd that has followed Him across the sea looking for more food from Jesus. That's why they're there. It is 
primarily, if, if not entirely, a, a crowd of Jewish people. Okay, there's probably no Gentiles here. This is a crowd of Jewish people, some of which are also some of the leaders in the Jewish system, some of the Jewish religious leaders. And it's really important to understand the perspective that this crowd has about following God from, from a variety of perspectives. But let's focus on one area right now. And we looked at, at uh, much of this in, in, in that message of, on false disciples that we, we looked at a couple of weeks ago on, on the Facebook message. And we covered verses 22 through 35. Um, but these people, again, are following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus tells them that. In verse 26, Jesus tells them that they're following because they're hungry. And Jesus had filled their bellies the day before. And, and so, in other words, they were solely focused on the next meal. The next earthly, temporary fix. This is what these people are focused on. What's the, what's the next earthly, temporary desire that I have that I need to fill? It was all about physical blessings to meet their physical needs. This is how these people were thinking. Very similar to the woman at the well in, in chapter 4 right, that we saw. And she was very focused on the physical. Um, and when Jesus started talking spiritual, she got confused. Same thing is going to happen here. Uh, John chapter 6 is very similar in a lot of ways. And uh, so here we are you know, now in, in 2021, and, and we're so much more mature than they are, right? We don't, we don't come to Jesus for that at all, right? Yes, of course. Um, well, hopefully, you know, maybe we don't hear, at least not every single day of our lives, but um, the, the world actually, you know, is still living for that next temporary fix, right? Sometimes we as Christians can, can tend to live that way. Um, the, that next temporary fix was the next thing that my heart desires because maybe that will fill the emptiness that I have inside. And, you know, from a, from a worldly theology, guys, that makes sense. You know, and I've said this several times, but if there is no eternity, eat and drink for tomorrow, we die. Like, yeah, you, you better make sure all of your earthly desires are fulfilled because that's all you got, brother. That's all you got. So you better make sure you get everything you want in this life because there's nothing after it. So from, from that kind of theology, that kind of standpoint, well, it makes perfect sense to live this way with that, that temporary, chasing after every little physical tem, uh, temporary desire that we have, because that's what seems right. It seems right, and it seems like it's going to fill. You know, there are even churches built around this theology of, of worshiping God because doing so could bring you uh, wealth and, and health and, and prosperity or whatever else your heart desires. It's all about the physical. God wants you to have all these things, so claim them. It's not biblical. And what we do, uh, what happens is that if we end up living that way, we end up every single time, we end up empty, don't we? Every single time. Even as as Christians, we know this. When we decide to go chasing after worldly desires, everything our heart desires on this earth, we, it, we just find that it's empty, guys. Have you found that? It's, it doesn't sustain us. It's empty. It may make us happy for a moment, but then it's gone. Well, and this is how the world lives constantly, all the time. And what happens is we end up empty every single time. We find that nothing ever really satisfies. And the physical always disappoints. For the crowd here, you know, it was, it was the next meal. Very different society than us. Right, if they could get like unlimited meals from Jesus, that would just set them up great. We don't think about food as much in our society, right? It's just kind of there. It's on every corner. Um, you know, we could pay for it. We, could, we have groceries. We, you know, whatever. We can go make a sandwich. Most of us have the ability to go home and make a sandwich after church today, right? So we don't think it, it's kind of a different world that we live in that way. But it's the same thing. For them, it was the next meal. Maybe for you, it's that job that you think is really going to complete your life. And I'm not saying you don't go after this job, but it is not going to complete your life. It's not going to sustain your life. 
It may have, have be a means to be able to do things for ministry. Wonderful, great. Um, a means to have food on the table, un- awesome. But it's not going to sustain you. That, don't expect that that life, that job is going to complete you. Jobs don't do that. Maybe it's having a baby. And you think, oh, if I just had a baby, you know, if our family just had a baby, that, that would really, you know, lots of couples do this when they're struggling in their marriage. Right? And it, because they're not living for Christ. They're not both being poured into by Jesus and pouring into each other. They're living for each other, or they're living for uh, themselves. And so they think, oh, if we just had a baby, though, you know, that, that would bring it together. Guys, I, it, it doesn't. I tell you what, babies are hard. Babies are hard, okay? It's not what you think it is. Now, they're wonderful, and they're amazing, and I love I love having children. Would never change that. Would never trade in the hardships of it. But it's not just going to fix your life. Absolutely not. Maybe, maybe you're single and it's, it's a relationship, right? And, you know, uh, if I could just find the, that soulmate, you know? hate that term, soulmate. If I could just find the soulmate, though. If I could just find that guy or that girl that, that's going to... I know she will fulfill me. That's what I'm missing in my life. That's what I'm missing. That perfect man. Ladies, he does not exist, I promise you. He lived a long time ago and he ain't coming back not to live on this earth like that. And he ain't going to marry you. Perfect man, oh, my wife can tell you. He certainly doesn't exist in our home. Um, Maybe it's just like some amount of money. You know, if I just had this amount of money, uh, I just got to work and, 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 and gain and gain and gain. And if I, at some point, I'm going to be rich, though, and then I'll be able to use that money. But that, that kind of consumes you, right? That pursuit of money. Maybe it's just like relaxation, vacation. I just need a vacation. That's what will help. And that can help in some ways. But it's not going to fulfill you the way Jesus fulfills you. As we talked about uh, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, we find that we're just continuing to draw water from these broken vessels. Remember we talked about these broken cisterns, these, these buckets that have holes in them. So yeah, they might have a little bit of water in them, but the water is seeping out the bottom. It's not sustaining. It cannot sustain us. We're never satisfied because money fades. Because people are sinful and let you down. Also, people don't live forever on this earth. Jobs disappoint. Jobs just become jobs at some point, guys. I'm thankful for my job and I love going to work, but it's a job. You know, it's why I can do this. Health, it fails you. Some of you may have experienced that. Our health fails at times. But Jesus comes and He says, I am superior bread for you. I'm superior bread for you than all these other things that you're chasing. I am satisfying. I will sustain your joy. He says in verse 35, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And of course the crowd is like, give us this bread, Jesus. No more having to go look for food. Great. But they're they're still only thinking in terms of the physical needs being met, just as the woman at the well was. He starts talking about spiritual water, and she's like, you even have a bucket. Remember that? They just don't get it. It's all physical, physical, physical. Jesus, as as we'll see here, He's talking about something so much more satisfying, something eternal. He's talking about spiritual life. We think the answer is going to be in the next physical desire being met. It's It's a natural thing for us to think that as humans. That's kind of the way we're born thinking. You can see that from a, a baby. Just give me, give me that. 
That's what I want. I want that now or I'm going to cry. Give it to me now. But you know, we're still 30 years old and doing the same old thing. Same old thing. That's what I want. Give it to me now. It's a, it's a natural. It's the, the natural man. That's how we think. But he says the problem is not physical. The problem is spiritual. And until the spiritual is fixed, nothing physical will ever satisfy you. Boy, a family, a marriage can be so sad. I was just telling my wife last night just how, oh, how much I love her and so thankful I am for her. Because when the spiritual is, is fixed, you can, you, your wife really can satisfy you. Because she's not the ultimate satisfaction that you get. Your children really do satisfy. You really can enjoy them because your ultimate is Jesus. And that pours out into every other aspect of your life. Your job really, you don't have to hate it. Because my ultimate is Jesus. And it's pouring out into my job no matter if I do hate the tasks I'm doing. No matter if I don't really like the people I'm with, I'm using it as a ministry. I'm pouring out into my coworkers, into my customers, whatever it is. When the spiritual is fixed, the physical really can begin to satisfy because it's not your ultimate satisfaction. Your ultimate satisfaction comes from Jesus. But we think the answer is all physical. Jesus says no. Physical will never satisfy you. He's talking about a superior bread here. And we all have this hunger for it. God has placed eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes says. We all have this hunger for it, but it's only through the Spirit of God that we actually understand what we're actually hungry for. We don't even as humans know what we're hungry for. That's why we chase the things that we think might be, well, that maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a woman. Maybe that's it. I'll just go after that, whatever it takes. We don't even know what we're hungry for until the Spirit of God shows us what we're hungry for. When we do come and believe, He says, come to me. Believe in Him. When we come and believe, we find that it is only in Him that we're satisfied. That that void can be filled in our lives. I know you've heard this message a hundred times. But the Bible is repetitive on this thing. It's not me, it's the Bible. The Bible is repetitive on this broken cistern thing. Nothing else is going to satisfy you but Jesus. And I mean that for the non-Christian, but I mean that for the Christian today. The Christian who's looking for other things. Nothing is going to satisfy you but Jesus. And you know, sometimes we, we come to Him for salvation. And we're, we're truly saved. But then we begin to be drawn away again by our earthly desires. Or by just busyness. Or by whatever it is. And we find that those earthly things just cannot sustain us. Again, it's that spark of happiness, but then I'm back down again. Jesus is superior. And it's only in coming back to Him that our joy is restored. You know, during the holidays, I think it can be really easy, especially in our country and our, the way our country kind of does Christmas, very commercialized, and you kind of buy into all that. And it's okay to, to celebrate some of those things too, but... You know, I think it can be really, really easy to get our minds off of this sustaining bread that we have in Jesus, even though that's the purpose of Christmas. And even though that we as a church, we would say, that's our purpose of Christmas. We're, to, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. But then uh, we tend to forget that in the holiday season, I think, sometimes. It's so easy to get in, in this like relaxation mode and just uh, carefree mode during the holidays and, and family mode and and gift-giving and, and gift-receiving kind of mode, and, and fun things like, like Christmas lights and, and Santa and decorating the tree and baking or what, whatever it is that you do for fun you know, during this time. And it's easy to get so busy with all those things that you kind of neglect the real, the real deal here. <laughs> you kind of neglect your relationship with Christ 
and actually in the holiday season needing to be revitalized again because you've believed the lie once again that something else is going to sustain your joy. And a time that we should be uber-focused on Jesus um, turns into a time when we've, again, focused on the physical so much that it's drained us spiritually. And maybe some of you this morning as we start a new year need to come back, need to come back to this true bread because maybe that's kind of happened over the last few weeks. Come back to the true bread, Jesus, who's the only one who can sustain us. In the context here, the crowd has been talking about the manna. Okay, manna, the bread that, that God sent during the exodus of the Israelites, right? The exodus from Egypt. And, and when they were wandering in the wilderness, God sent manna every day to sustain them. Literal bread from heaven, right? On the ground that they could eat. And they essentially say to Jesus, Moses gave us this bread every day. What are you going to do, Jesus? I mean, what a slap in the face. I addressed that in my last message, but what a slap in the face. And Jesus answers them by saying that, He Himself is the true bread that God the Father sent from heaven. And here's some of the things He says about this bread in this chapter. Verse 33, He says it gives life to the world. It's life-giving. Jesus later says in John 10.10, and and we'll, we'll be getting there eventually, He says that He's come that we might have life and have it, what? More abundantly. It's spiritual, eternal life, as as we'll see in a second. But it's not just that. It's also joy and and strength and peace for life on this earth that you're not going to find anywhere else. And it's not related to circumstance. Life more abundant, even when life doesn't seem so abundant. He says in verse 35 that you'll never hunger or thirst so it's, it's a sustaining bread. And for those of us who are Christians, we know firsthand just how sustaining it is. Because every time we allow sin to get a foothold in our lives, we begin to neglect time with Christ. We, we suffer badly for that as Christians. Inwardly. We find that peace and that joy begins to fade. And the Spirit draws us back to Christ in His loving way that He does, right? And Nathan and I were talking uh, this morning about the joy and the necessity of, of being with our church body, you know, as Christians. And it's so important to gather together. That's why, you know, Stephen and I want to stay open as much as we possibly can because it's so important for us to gather. Even if we just gather just to pray and, and sing songs or whatever, just being with the church body means something. We want to be here, and that's why I'd encourage you to come if you can. And let's, let's wear our masks, let's social distance so that we can continue to come even during this pandemic. But you know, even that by itself can't sustain us. Just coming to church every week, even if it's a good church body where you're hearing the Word of God preached, um, that can't sustain you either. You can come here every week, but if you're missing that personal time with Jesus, you're still starving yourself. You're starving yourself because only He can sustain you. Down in verses 47 to 51, Jesus says that that their fathers ate ate the manna, but they all died. He says it pretty bluntly. They, They all ate the manna, but they died. And He says, I am living bread. And if you eat of this, you'll, you'll live forever, he says. See, the Jews here, are, are, are they're trying to just settle for physical bread that only sustains hunger for like a day. Right? Jesus just fed them yesterday. And they're hungry again. It doesn't do anything to extend your physical life. It doesn't do anything to extend your spiritual life. And it doesn't really satisfy. Remember in Exodus and, and Numbers, they... I think it was in Numbers, actually. They, uh, they began to complain even about the taste of man. Ah, oh, this bland bread. We're so sick of your provision, God. Just send us back to Pharaoh. That's why none of that generation 
by the way, entered the promised land, right? They just complained and complained and complained about God's provision. But even that manna, you know, it didn't satisfy like maybe they were hoping or they thought it should. Meanwhile, Jesus is here freely offering bread that satisfies the emptiness of the soul, that sustains us through any trial, any difficulty, and that ultimately results in living forever with Him in paradise. And the Jews are like, yeah, we're just really trying to get a snack. We'd really just like for you to feed us again. That's it. Like, we don't need all this. And it says in verse 66 that after this conversation where Jesus offers this bread, many of his disciples followed him no more. They're gone. They're out of here. They're deceived by the wicked desires of their hearts. They've chosen a a far inferior bread in their urgency to have their temporary desires met quickly. Jesus says in verse 36 that they've seen him and yet they don't believe. By the way, who, who could be this bread for us but God? Do you see how this is a statement of His deity? Who has the power to say, I am the bread that gives you eternal life? Who has the power to give eternal life but God? No one. I am the bread that will cause you to never hunger or thirst again. This is a very clear statement of Jesus' deity. And as we continue talking about this bread, uh, we'll see that the Jews recognize this claim to deity. And they begin to get more and more appalled by what he's saying. But this bread of life that comes down from heaven, Jesus is superior bread. That's our first point this morning. The second one, um, the second word I'd use to describe this, this bread of life is secure. Secure. This bread is, is secure. This is found in verses 37 through 40. Let's just go ahead and read those again. 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all, that of all He has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Jesus starts by saying that all that the Father gives Him will come to Him. And the one who comes to Him, He will by by no means cast out. Now we're going to talk more about about those ones that the Father gives to Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. But but first I want to discuss the second part of that verse. If we come, He will by no means cast us out. If you come this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are as a Christian this morning. If you've done some horrendous things over the past few weeks, it does not matter, guys. If you will come, He will by no means cast you out. That's security. He goes on in verse 39 that of all the Father gives him, he won't lose anything. But he will raise it up on the last day. And he says that the same thing in the next verse. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. It's very clear. Jesus is determined to do this. This is called our glorification, right? Salvation really has three parts. We've talked about this many times. Justification. That is when we repent and and surrender our lives to Christ, God places on us Jesus' perfect life. We are justified by Jesus' perfect life. Right? Justification. Sanctification, we're going to discuss a lot more next week. But it's that process of growing more like Christ. And then glorification. Is that, this is what he's talking about here. There's going to be an end to our salvation. Yes, salvation is the beginning, not the end. There's going to be an end where, where we will be raised up and we will be with Him for eternity 
in paradise. It's our glorification. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And all three of those things are sure things whenever you come to Christ. They begin. Your sanctification begins. Glorification is sealed and it's guaranteed. You're never going to lose that. Justification is guaranteed and it's done right in that moment. It's a guarantee that we will be raised up with Him and nothing, nothing Nothing, not even yourself, can take that away. No sin that you commit can take that away. This is a secure bread of life. And the reason it's so secure is because it has nothing to do with us in the first place. Our salvation has nothing to do with our ability to earn it, right? It has nothing to do with our ability to keep it. It's not like God says, Oh, Josh has been a good boy. I'm going to give him salvation. That's not the way it works. It is Josh has been a terrible boy. And I must die for him. Otherwise, he will punish or he will suffer in hell. He will suffer apart from me for eternity. And I don't want that. And that's not who God is. God is a gracious and loving God who wants to save his creation. He wants to save us. He wants to save all of us. Salvation is totally, completely provided by God and freely given by God. What do do we have to do? We have to come and believe. If we don't come and believe, there's no gift for us. We must come and we must Believe, but we don't earn a thing. Are you kidding me? So how could we keep it? If it was up to us to keep it, we wouldn't keep it. We would lose it, right? For sure. But it's not up to us to keep it. It's a secure thing because it has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us and our abilities. He will make sure it accomplishes His purpose of eternal life forever with Him. Jesus says here that that He will lose nothing. He will not lose one of us who are saved, no matter what. Now again, who could say this but God? Jesus is God, and we can be sure that He will accomplish the end of our salvation, no matter what happens on this earth. This should be a comfort for us. A comforting truth for us as believers when life is is falling apart, when maybe our health is failing, when persecution against us is mounting, when things that we hold dear in this life fail us or are taken away from us. We can be comforted comforted in knowing that we will be with Jesus someday. And we will have glorified bodies that are like His and knowledge that is like His. We tend to I think sometimes we tend to forget what a comfort this is to believers. Probably because as the church we've, we've become too comfortable. Right? As the general church we, we, we've become too comfortable. Our lives have become too comfortable. And, and some of us when we think about eternity we're like, ah, not yet though. I don't know if I want to go yet though. I'm really kind of enjoying this life. Well good, it's good to enjoy life. But maybe you're too comfortable. Because if we're truly, if we're out there making disciples of Christ, there's going to be pushback to that. Even in America. Even in Johnson City. There's going to be pushback to that. It's not always going to be comfortable. There may be persecution. We become too comfortable. Rather than living lives that make us uncomfortable and and invite persecution, where we are boldly proclaiming the gospel to the world, we often live very much like the world and are careful not to say anything too controversial. I just don't want to offend anyone, right? Meanwhile, everything about the gospel is offensive. Everything about what Jesus had to do is offensive. Now, the rest of it's not offensive, I suppose. Yes, come to Jesus and you have grace. That's not offensive. But the first part, the part that you've got to get through, the part that you've got to realize that you are a nasty sinner 
who Christ had to die for? That's offensive. And if we're proclaiming that message, guys, we can't help but offend people. We're not trying to. I don't want to offend anybody. But I want you to be saved. But we often... We're careful not to say anything because we're, we're too afraid we might offend someone. But, you know, the New Testament writers, they were writing to Christians who were daily in danger of losing their jobs, their families, or their lives for the sake of this gospel. It was a real concern for them. And to hear of this sure hope that we have of eternity was the best news they could possibly hear. Right, a day when the trials would be over and they'd be with their Savior finally. They would see the end of their salvation and they longed for that day and they held on to those promises. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verses 16 through 18, Paul wrote to the church about this being raised on the last day that Jesus is talking about here in John. And he says this, he says, For the Lord Himself will descend from, the, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Boy, that was a comfort to them. I believe this is to be the rapture of the church. And it's the day when the dead in Christ will be reunited with their bodies. Their souls will be reunited with their bodies. We who are alive in Christ will rise And Christ will change our bodies into something that looks like His glorious body. And 1 Corinthians 15 gives gives some some details about how this happens. And we'll be with Jesus forever. We can only imagine that. But Paul closes this section in 1 Thessalonians by saying this, Therefore comfort one another with these words. These people that are in daily daily in danger of losing their lives. He says, but, but you can be comforted. You can still be comforted, though, because of what's coming. There are no more comforting words to a people suffering for Christ than those. And there should be no more comforting words to us either. That should light a fire underneath us that we are going to be with Jesus someday. Forever. In perfection and in a place that is perfection. With, a, with Jesus who is perfection as always has been perfection. And we'll have perfect knowledge and perfect bodies. And we can't even imagine what this is going to be like. The New Testament is clear throughout that this is a sure hope that we have as Christians. The moment of salvation we have this hope. When we, the moment that we partake of this bread of life by coming and believing, we can know that our eternity is sealed and secured by Him. And some of you this morning may be in a place where you're struggling to believe that. Maybe you've kind of fallen away from Christ, you've fallen into some sin, or you just kind of neglected Christ for a while now. And Satan is telling you that lie that you're not secure in Christ. He might be saying, well, why would, why would He want you after what you've done? You know, think about the way you've been living over the past few weeks. Why would He want you? Sin can really have an impact on our security and salvation. But here's the thing. Jesus' Jesus's promise to raise us up isn't conditioned on our ability to be perfect. Praise the Lord. It is not conditioned on our ability to be perfect. It is belief, it is faith in Him that saves, not perfection. In fact, that was the Jews' primary problem. It was all about keeping the law and, and what they could do. And that's, like, that's exactly why Jesus is going to tell them that they didn't come to Him. They missed their Savior. They saw Him, but they didn't believe Our eternal security is is based on His power and His grace, not on our goodness. I love how Jesus puts this later in John. In John 10, um, verses 27 through 30, He says this, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. 
And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Boy, that's security right there. We'll we'll get in that passage more in depth in a few weeks, but, but just look at the security there. No one can snatch us as believers out of Jesus' hands. Nothing or, or no one, no circumstance, no sin can snatch you out of His hand. But on top of that, we're also in God the Father's hand, right? And no one is able to snatch us out of His hand. Complete security in the Father and in the Son through this bread of life. Complete security you don't have to worry about it you just keep following Jesus but even if you have moments when you don't he secures you even if you have moments when you're in sin he secures you what a what an awesome principle from the word an awesome truth from the word we try to find security in a lot of things in this life our spouses or our friends or our kids or our our church families or our careers or whatever it is, but there is nothing more secure than the security we have in our Savior. And it's unconditional, not based on anything you do. It's only about true belief in Him, and it's free. A free gift. Now, I have to caveat this a little bit, because if if these verses induce the response in you that, well, I'm okay then. Great. I'll just keep on sinning. Let me just keep on doing what I want to do because, you know, the pastor just said I'm safe in Christ. If that's your response this morning, then you should be very concerned. You're exactly like these people in John 6 who are following Jesus for the wrong reason. Remember, they had some sort of belief too. They believed. They believed in Jesus' miracles. They believed in what Jesus was saying, but they weren't saved. You should be very concerned if that's your response. You're just following Jesus for the benefits you can get out of Jesus. And Jesus says about them, He says, you've seen me, you've spent time with me, but you don't really believe. And you're not going to have this bread. Again, one of John's big purposes in writing uh, the book of John is to inform us that there is a belief in Christ that does not lead to salvation. It's just a head knowledge about who He is. And is following Him simply for what I get out of it. And you can use the name of Jesus all you want to. But if you're just following Him for His gifts and you're not following the giver, then you're not saved. You don't really know Him. If it's all about the benefits for you. That's one of John's main purposes in his gospel. That's why we'll come back to it again and again. The difference between true belief and false belief. So that's your response this morning. I would ask you to evaluate your life. Have you really trusted in Christ as your Savior? Do you really Is He precious to you? Or is it just like, I don't want to go to hell? Rather, our response to this, if we're in sin today, if if we strayed today, should be one of repentance, of godly sorrow. The fact that Jesus has loved you at your very, very worst, on your worst Days and yet He holds out eternal life to you no matter what you've done. And He promises that if you will come and partake of Him, you shall have eternal life with no conditions for you keeping it. That fact should bring a response of repentance and of desperate devotion to Jesus, right? Oh man, what love that the Savior has for me. Where can you find a love like Jesus? 
What a love He has shown to each one of us by, by even offering this bread of life. We didn't really get to this verse, but He says, This bread is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Giving my flesh for the life of the world. The nasty, wicked world that just wants to turn away from Him. That's you and me. And yet He says, but I love you though. And I'm going to make it possible for you to be saved. What a love. And then He promises that if you'll come, He'll by no means cast you out. And then He promises that, that He'll never ever leave you nor forsake you. And He promises that someday when death is finally defeated, you'll have this perfect body and mind just like His and you'll reign with Him somehow. He'll give you some authority. I don't know how that works exactly. How could we go on sinning against this kind of love if we really love Him? How could we keep on neglecting that daily time with Him, that daily partaking of this bread that He offers? And that's where we're going to leave it this morning. We have a lot more to cover here in John 6 about what Jesus means, that He is the bread of life. But we're going to leave it there this morning. This bread is superior in that it's all-satisfying, all-sufficient, all-sustaining. And this bread is secure. If you're in Him, you are secure this morning. Even if you stray, just come on back. Come on back and there He is. Waiting to welcome you again. Waiting to use you again. What security we have in Christ. No matter what life looks like for us today, uh, here on the earth. We have this sure hope that's coming for us as believers. This sure hope of eternity with Christ. And all that He asks is that we believe in Him. We have faith in Him. We see here that it's not just, it's not just an affirming of, of Jesus' life, death, and, and even His resurrection. But it's a belief that leads to repentance of the sin that took Jesus to the cross. And it's a, it's a belief that leads to a surrender of ourselves completely to Him. A belief that leads to humility. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. That humility that we must have in order to come to Christ. I want you to ask, I want to ask you this morning if you've done that. If you've truly come to Christ. If you put your faith completely in this wonderful Savior that we have. For those of us who are Christians, um, those who know, I, I've, I've partaken of this bread of life for salvation. He is my hope. Now let me ask you, are you being sustained though daily by the same bread? Or after having been saved by the bread, you're going away to other bread? Or is it daily you're taking in Jesus? Daily you're letting His words renew you and restore you and transform you. How do we do that? Primarily through God's Word, right? Primarily through God's Word. Are you being sustained by this bread this morning? Are you trying to find joy somewhere else? I want you to be reminded this morning of how wonderful our Savior is. I want you to remember how, how bad, how badly we need Him. Not, not just for salvation. We, we need, I mean, we had to have Him for salvation. There's no other way, guys. But we need Him daily. As daily bread for us, each and every one of us. Me as the pastor, I don't have some, some sort of end where I don't need the daily. No, I need the daily just as much as you do. I need my daily bread who is Jesus. We desperately need fellowship with Him. If you're neglecting that this morning, you are willingly settling for bread that won't satisfy. You are willingly robbing yourself of that joy and that peace that comes only from the Lord and that He wants to freely give you this morning through His Spirit. So are you daily abiding in Him? I just want to invite you to remember how Jesus has 
seen us even in our worst sin and chosen to die a horrendous death for us. A death we can't even imagine. Remember that He's offered His life for your salvation. And remember that He promises He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't care where you are today. Come back. Come back today. Don't run. You run to the Savior if you're going to run. You don't run away. You don't run, run away from the church body. You don't run away from the Word. You run to the loving arms of Jesus this morning, if that's where you are. And then you leave it. You, you, you repent and you leave it alone. And Satan will try to bring back up the shame, but you don't let him. You're secure in Jesus. You're secure in Jesus this morning. He loves you dearly even if you're running from Him this morning. What a Savior we have this morning. Amen. What a Savior we have. I want to ask you to close your eyes and, and bow your heads. And we're going we're gonna to close this morning. I'm going to give you a few moments just to um, spend time with Jesus, doing whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to repent this morning. Come back to Him. Uh, you've maybe neglected Him this morning. You need to, you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I've run after other bread. And I'm sorry. And I want to come back this morning. Um, I promise you He's there inviting you back. And maybe this morning you need to be saved. Whether you're listening to this on a podcast or whether you're um, here with us this morning, you need to be saved this morning. You need to come to this true bread for the first time. Well, it's by repentance of sin and faith in the Savior. That's how you do it. It's not anything you can earn. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be good enough. It's by repentance and faith. You tell Him, I'm so sorry for my sin that has, that has taken Jesus to the cross. Will you forgive me based on Jesus' sacrifice on that cross? And then you tell Him, I surrender all to you now. Lord, I surrender all. It's all yours. I commit my life to you now. That is coming to Jesus truly. Repentance and faith. If you, if you haven't done that, please do that this morning. And please tell somebody here this morning so that we can rejoice with you. So that we can uh, lead you to the next steps of, of baptism. And so that we can pray with you this morning and help you through it and be a family to you. When you come to Christ, you don't just get Christ, you get a family of brothers and sisters who have also come to Christ. What a glorious thing God has set up for us here with the church. And we want to be that for you. So if you've done that this morning, if you want to do that this morning, you please come. Tell me about it. Tell Stephen about it. Tell somebody else. Let us know about it and let us pray with you and be there with you. And for those Christians, maybe you need to spend some time with Jesus this morning, doing whatever you need to do. I want to give you a couple of moments here and then I'm going to close with some prayer and we'll have some announcements and then we'll, we'll get out of here. <clears throat> Father, I, I just th thank you and praise you for the true bread that you've sent down from heaven, Jesus. Lord, as creator of the universe, you did not have to do that. We know that. We acknowledge that. And Lord, all we do is sin. All we do is turn from you. All we do is shake our fist at you. And yet you wanted to save us. Father, what a glorious Amazing love you have for us this morning. I don't understand it, Father. I don't understand it, but Lord, I want to embrace it. Father, I pray that if there's one here today who's not embracing that love with open arms, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, please give them another opportunity. Father, if there's a Christian today who's straying, please welcome them back into your loving arms. We know that you will, Lord, but please help them to come back. Please convict through your spirit this morning. And bring them back, Lord. As we open a new year, let's get off to a fresh start of, of daily receiving the true bread, Lord. Every day. We don't miss a day because that is what sustains our life, Lord.
That is what sustains joy. That's what sustains peace. That's what allows us to, to even make it through difficult times. How do people even survive without Jesus? I don't know. I want to pray that we would press in this year. Help us to press in, each individual here. Press into you, Jesus, not run, but press into you. Press into your church body. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do through our church. We ask you to bless us this year, Lord, and in number, Lord, and um, but also, Lord, in spiritually, Lord, that you would make disciples from this church. You would make disciples of all nations, Lord. God, we pray for Megan Moran as she is she's going this week, Lord, internationally to make disciples, Lord. To bring your word to people that maybe have never heard it, Father. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen her, encourage her, Lord. You would be with her daily, Lord. That she would cling to this daily bread, Lord. And that you would fill her up. You would give her the words that she needs, Lord. You would use her in a mighty way during this trip, Lord. And you would bring her back revitalized and ready to tell the world about, about what you did there, Lord. Father, we pray that you protect her, Lord, and lead her back to us. But God, we pray for big things for her, Lord. And I pray for the individuals that are here, Lord, for the rest of us. Lord, that you would help us to have a, just a fervor, evangelistic fervor in this church to go and tell of what you've done for us, Jesus. We ask that you would embolden us this week through your spirit, Lord. And we thank you again, Lord, for your sacrifice, for your love for us, for your death on the cross for your resurrection. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.